This is David Tarkington, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orange Park and the First Family Network. You are listening to the teaching ministry of our church. Thank you for downloading this sermon. If you have any questions about the church, go to firstfam.org or call us at 904-264-2351. Acts chapter 9, beginning in the second half of verse 19. You might notice in your Bible, your copy of God's Word, that verse 19, as, as modern translations have put them in paragraphs, splits that verse in half. So we're going to be in the second half. That would be 19b, if you want to know how we would designate that. And I'm going to be reading through verse 31 of Acts chapter 9. Please follow along if you would. For some days he, now that he is Saul, some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were still, or they were seeking to kill him. When the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It's a great story. We're going to kind of look at some things here, I think, that are going to hopefully be impactful for you. I know they were for me. Well, as you know, football season has begun, and, and it's, it's football season in quotes because football's being played uh, in the high schools. You know, it's social distancing, and a certain number of people can go in, and the way you get into games is different than it has been, and no one gets to stand around the field. College games are being played, and some of the universities, uh, like my alma mater, who never gets on television, was aired yesterday, so the whole world could see my alma mater get creamed um, by like 60 points, I think it was. So... And, and, and you're getting some games back. The NFL's playing again, and some stadiums have fans, some don't have fans. So it's a kind of a different world. But, but there's something, you know, when it comes to sports, and, and whether you like sports or not, I mean, you're just got to bear with me for these sports-related illustrations at this point. But we in our country, whether you like sports or not, you, you can't miss the reality that it's a billion-dollar industry, and apparently a lot of people like sports. It, 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 they, we... we they, buy tickets, we watch games, we cheer for our favorite teams, whether it's a college or a high school or a professional team, that tends to happen. And there is money galore. It, it is making money for somebody, right? I saw yesterday, I was, watching, uh, I was watching my alma mater, and at the bottom of the screen, here comes latest sports news and other scores. And, and there is a, a Welsh um, soccer, uh, knowing my American audience, soccer player, who plays for uh, is it Real Madrid? Is that how you say that? Plays professional soccer in or Real Madrid or not? He plays in Europe. And he, his name is Gareth, and he is a big-time player. And, he, and I found this interesting. So it's not just an American thing. 
he is being loaned to a, another team. Loaned, I like that term. It's not a trade, it's a loan. He's being loaned to Tottenham Hotspur in, in England to play soccer. And uh, the Tottenham team has agreed to, play, to pay, this is what caught my attention, to pay 40% of his $775,000 weekly salary. Listen, I would play soccer for 775 for a week. I'd play for 40% of that. I mean, I'm like, this, so it's not just an American phenomenon. And as you know, you've, you've seen enough of the news, Europeans and South Americans and globally, soccer is the number one sport and has more fans. And it, it, people love their teams. I mean, crazy things happen when their favorite teams lose. But, but I think it was Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld that actually said it, and, and the wisdom of Jerry Seinfeld. He said, in, in, in sports, we're really not cheering for individuals as much as we cheer for laundry. It's the uniform. It could be the most horrendous person ever, but if he puts on your home team uniform, you're his biggest fan, at least excusing all his past sins for the moment. But once he's traded to another team, oh, you know, now that person is an, in, an enemy. So it, it ends up being, and, and for instance, you know, we went to the Jaguars game last week, and, and uh, as we're pulling in, I'm thinking, I think I can name three players right now. And since we won, we're bigger fans this week than we were last week. And I'm just thankful for Jordan Floro's sake that they beat the Colts, who are his favorite team. So I just want to bring that out online so it's now recorded for everybody. Um, but we're watching teams, and we're watching guys wear uniforms, we're cheering for that. But here's something in, in professional sports especially. If you're a longtime sports fan of a certain team, how weird is it when one of your favorite players towards the end of their career signs for another team? It just doesn't seem right. So, you know, um, I, I still have a hard time with Mark Brunel being a New Orleans Saint, you know, or, or playing for, for Washington. Uh, he's always a Jaguar, right? But, but I, I started looking at some of these guys, and, you know, Willie Mays, if you're not a sports fan, just, you know, hip, go get something, go get some coffee, come back after the opening here. We'll be fine. But Willie Mays playing for the New York Mets is odd. Uh, Pete Rose in his Montreal Expos uniform never made any sense. It didn't look right. Johnny Unitas as a San Diego Charger. Franco Harris as a Seattle Seahawk. Yogi Berra playing for the Mets. Did you even know this? See, they are known for, uh, he was a Yankee forever, but oh, he ended as a Met. Carl Malone, the mailman, being a Los Angeles Laker instead of the, playing for the Jazz. Emmett Smith, somebody mentioned Emmett Smith earlier, and they were talking about how he stayed with one team his entire career. And I said, oh no, he ended as an Arizona Cardinal, which most people like to forget as well as Emmett. Um, what a great season. You've got, uh, for the one hockey fan in the room perhaps, Bobby Orr as a Chicago Blackhawk. See, it's just odd. And probably most recently and most popular today is Tom Brady playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's just there. It's just like it's something doesn't seem right. Now, when these guys end up going into the Hall of Fame, they tend to go in as their team or on the team that they are known for most historically and not for that one-off year or something else. But there's something that connects here a little bit because – it, there's just something, a preconceived idea that this person belongs on that team, and if this person is not on that team, and if he just changes the uniform, it doesn't matter if he's playing for this other team, it still doesn't quite seem right. 
If that's not connecting with you, then just imagine if Steve Spurrier would have been FSU's new head coach after Bowden retired. I just want to throw that one out there to watch all the Florida fans get really angry and the FSU fans just as angry. I thought that was an equal opportunity frustration. But that would be the radical change. You're like, that would never happen. Well, we're not here to talk about sports, obviously. And those don't really matter when it comes to the things that really matter. When you look at the book of Acts, you've got a guy that changed teams. When you get to Acts chapter 9, it was more than just a changing of a jersey. It was a total transformation. And it was a major shift from being considered this guy, the Christian hunter, the guy who's going to break into homes with arrest warrants that have given him permission from those in leadership and in government where he can arrest these people who are members of a Christian church, members of a, a following of the way, as they said. If one who has received Jesus Christ and is worshiping Christ, he is the one who is so anti-Christ that he is going to take out as many Christians as he can. We talked about that you could almost categorize him as a, as a first century terrorist from the sense of doing anything and everything to shut down the early church and to remove Christians and get them out of the public eye. And then all of a sudden on a road to Damascus, he is encountered with uh, Christ himself, meets him, asks him, why are you persecuting me, Saul? Saul says, I'm not persecuting you, I'm just taking out the church, to which we get the clarification that if you hurt the church of Jesus Christ, you are hurting Christ. And at that moment, in an amazing moment where Paul wasn't even really looking for this, God met him where he was on that road to Damascus, and he transformed him. He changed him. And that which took place afterward is evidence that Saul on the way to Damascus was not the same man who stayed and then eventually left Damascus. And it was much more than just being signed over to another team. He was dramatically and radically changed. And so when I look in this story and I look at what were, 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 were the, the details of this narrative of Saul's life and this conversion experience, some things kind of bubble up to the top that, that have uh, impacted me and I hope will impact you. I think they will and some things that would just need to be said. And one thing that we notice here, in case you haven't figured this out, following Christ is not easy. If your Christian journey has been super easy, you might want to take a double check uh, of how Christian your journey has been. Following Christ is not easy. You've likely heard it said, uh, I have heard it said, and sometimes in the, the Americanized marketing of Jesus, as we have seen propagated in our culture for decades, a well-meaning friend or even someone standing on a stage at a camp or, a, or at a crusade or at some kind of gathering or, or dare say even a pastor on a, at a, on a stage in a church behind a pulpit could say something like this and actually twist the truth. And maybe, maybe you've heard it said something like this, that if you would just say yes to Jesus and become a Christian, all your problems will be over. And that's a, that is a marketing strategy that leads to many walking down the aisle at the end of the gathering for the good Jesus yes moment so that all of our problems can be eradicated. Well, the problems that we face here on earth will not be eradicated. And it is actually a lie to tell people that. 
just become a Christian and everything will be okay. Well, in eternally speaking, absolutely. But for Tuesday, perhaps not. Maybe tomorrow, maybe not. Maybe even when you go home, could be, but I'm not promising that. If you're wanting easy Christianity, you don't want biblical Christianity. Now, I will dare say this. To become a Christian, I guess, is easy. If you consider total surrender and sacrificing and giving up any control of your own journey as easy, then it would be. That first step of faith, I think it's even wrong to say that's easy. It takes faith to make that step. But living a life as a sold-out follower, disciple of Jesus Christ, would not be considered easy. I agree that certainly saying yes and surrendering one's life to Jesus Christ as Lord is the answer for all of life's problems, is the necessary response, but I will not say that it's going to be easy for you because I look at the life of Saul and I dare say this, I think his life was much easier prior to Damascus than afterwards. I think he had more influence uh, uh, among those outside of the Christian culture. I think he had more money. I think he had more ease. I think he had a little power that was given to him. And I think that once he became a Christian, all those that were on his team to begin with were now not on his team any longer. And while his influence is now, I guess I would say, much greater than it was prior to his conversion, it's hard for me to say that Saul's life became easy when you start reading about shipwrecks, snake bites, being stoned, being run out of town, and uh, having to sell tents to make a buck so he can uh, have a little bit of a living in the midst of all of this. That's not easy. But just because something's not easy doesn't mean it's not right. I mean, if someone's selling you easy Christianity, you need to understand that that is just prosperity gospel light. Be careful. If you buy into that, be careful. Now, I get that saying that, hey, following Christ won't be easy. You're actually just going to eliminate some issues and probably get some other issues. That's not very marketable, but it is the truth. It is the truth. But I, I just, it just bothers me when people promote Christianity like they're trying to sell you a timeshare. If you'll just do this, it's a perfect thing. It's a great thing. This, all your problems will be over, seems to be saying something like, Jesus will make everybody like you. Jesus will make your spouse treat you better. Jesus will cause your children to behave. He will heal all the wounds you have inflicted on others, much less the, the wounds that you have yourself. He will make your boss pay you more. He will get you out of debt. He will heal you of your cancer. He will fix your broken car or any other such thing that may come to mind. And you can then begin to see how it sounds very much like prosperity gospel, which we know is not the gospel. Now, will and can God do all those things? Certainly. But if Jesus is received and surrendered to for that, then your Jesus is like a spiritual rabbit's foot. He's just your Jesus, your Christian version of a good luck charm. And all of a sudden, you might be living your life thinking he exists for your benefit rather than the other way around. Earthly problems do not simply go away when you become a Christian. It may just be a swapping of this set of problems for this set of difficulties. But the good news is this, and it is good news. I'm not, it's not a downer. This is actually really exciting. The grace of our Lord, the goodness of God, is this promise that in the difficulties of life that you will never, ever go through those alone, and he will see you through. Even in the midst of the challenge, there is hope. 
even in the midst. I, I think of these folks in the panhandle and the, whose houses are flooded out and whose trees have fallen on their houses and they're sitting there and here comes somebody with a yellow hat offering them more than a meal. But hope that God is okay. He's got this. He will see you through. And that's the promise, I think. The Americanized version of easy Christianity is sold and bought by many, but it has more in common, I think, with the cure-all product that's sold on late-night television on the high end of your cable television channels, where if you call right now, you get a 24-ounce bottle, but if within the next five minutes, we'll give you two, and oh, not sold in stores might be an indicator that you wouldn't want to buy it to begin with. Just in case, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure flex tape works and some of that other stuff's wonderful, but listen, there's a real fine line between some of that stuff sold and the snake oil that used to be sold in the Old West. Be careful. Be careful what kind of Christianity you're looking for. If it's too, if the product being sold on television is too good to be true, it probably is. And if Christianity is sold, if we're trying to make Jesus into something palatable so people will receive him, then we have missed the fact that we do not make Jesus relevant. We do not make Jesus palatable. We do not have to make him into anything, for he is. Just speak the truth. Just speak the truth. The buyers of easy Christianity really have no faith at all. They just have a 911 Jesus that they cry out to in emergencies but ignore when life gets back to what they used to call normal. And that's not life change. That's not the biblical reality we see here. That's not Christianity. Saul's conversion changed him from the human perspective. His life was much easier, I said before, when he was just persecuting Christians and trying to take out the church. But the life he had following was the one that impacted many for, have for millennia. And God is still using him. But here's something else to remember. Saul, with his new uniform on and his new identity, when he went to the church, when he went to the synagogue, he was not trusted by those that were listening to him. If you look at verse 20, it says, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, going where he would always go. And he stood in the synagogues and he said, hey, he is the son of God. He declared it to those in the synagogues in the city in Damascus. And all who heard him were amazed. And it, I love this. They were amazed. And you would think, well, the right Bible answer is to say, oh, praise the Lord. He is the son of God. That's not what they said. They were amazed looking at Saul preaching the gospel. And they said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this very purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? The transformation in Saul's life was so dramatic that when he proclaimed the gospel in the synagogue to the Jews in the city, they couldn't get beyond the fact that they knew who he used to be. Isn't this the same guy that a week ago was saying Jesus is a facade, is a fake, and now he stands before us and says he's the son of God? This is the same guy, right? Nevertheless, he persisted, it said. He continued to preach, continued to teach. He continued to explain how Christ had met him, changed him, and converted him. He continued to reveal that all that he had learned for decades as a student of the law had been made full and complete in Christ. So yes, becoming a Christi, Christian, becoming a Christian, becoming a Christian may be somewhat easy in the sense of surrendering but living as a follower of Christ is going to prove challenging. But thanks be to God, 
for the grace that he offers. That's the good news. Jesus is the good news. And I think we look in Saul's life and we can be encouraged in that. But here's another thing that, I, that really hit me about this transition in Saul's journey. Not only is becoming a Christian or living as a Christian not really easy, but secondly, facing our past, our pre-Christian life, we tend to bring those consequences along with us. Look at Romans 8.1. This is a, a written by Paul to the Christians in Rome. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And amen to that. That is an incredible verse. If you, don't, if you memorize verses, that ought to be one you memorize. If you like highlighting, highlight that one. What that is saying is for you and I, those of us in Christ, those of us who are believers, those of us who are Christians, there is before the Father, because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the sins of humanity and our surrender to him as our Lord, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You are not held in condemnation for the sins of your past. And that's an incredible, incredible reality. But sometimes I think we misread the verse and I think we add to it or reinterpret it because what the verse does not say, it does not say that the consequences of your past are gone. So while there is no condemnation, it does not mean the consequences here on earth as you relate with other people are just automatically erased. I would say when Saul went in to the room and he says Jesus is the Lord the reason the people responded the way they did is this not the guy that was killing Christians is because in a story of a man like Saul or Paul wherever he goes his his history hits town long before he walks through the gates his reputation walks in the town before he ever shows up so it was Gary Williams Pastor Gary Williams, Dr. Williams, who's the pastor over at Hopewell Church in Mandarin, used to be First Baptist Mandarin. Many years ago, he preached here at our church as a, as a guest preacher, and, and I remember this sermon he preached. He was talking about this reality of condemnation and consequences, condemnation and consequences, and he really unpacked it in a great way. So I give him the credit for this story because it just still resonates with me. He said, if you could imagine, you could imagine I, I, in my house if somebody broke into my house and they stole my silverware. That's what he said. He said that, and at that point I'm going, silverware, what is that? Oh, yeah. The very expensive silverware that was stored in probably the, a drawer or a cabinet. He said, if you can imagine someone coming in stealing all of that. Now just imagine they get caught by the police. The police catch them and they arrest them. And they take them to jail. They're found guilty. And they're in jail. And while in jail, they find Jesus. And he says in the story, he says they find real Jesus. Not just jail Jesus, but authentic Christ. They come to know the Lord. This brother who is now in prison or in jail for stealing my silverware is in jail. And he surrenders his life to Jesus Christ. He is confronted with the truth of the gospel. His sins are laid bare before him. And he confesses that sin. Christ forgives him of his sin. He is a new creature in Christ. He is not who he used to be. And amen, he finishes the prayer, opens his eyes, and guess where he still is? In jail. Because consequences will remain. But I love what Gary said after that. He said, let's just say he served his time. He's done uh, the, the due time that was assigned to him. And he has been released. And he wants to come to my house. And because he is now a brother in Christ. I am a Christian. He is a Christian. We will spend eternity forever together in heaven. 
We have a responsibility one to another. He comes to my house. He said, here's what's going to happen. He's going to come to my house, and being the Christian that I am, knowing this is a brother in Christ and hearing his grand testimony, I am going to welcome him into my house, but know that I've already hid my silverware. <laughs> and when Gary said that, I said, that's pretty good. I get that. I love you, but I'm not sure I trust you. Why? Because sometimes your, your, your past precedes you. Now you say, well, that's not quite fair. Well, who said life's fair? When you can come to Christ and things are totally transformed and, and changed, it doesn't necessarily mean that your, your past is forgotten by others. Here's the thing about Saul. Here's the thing about Saul. He was considered untrustworthy. And it, maybe this is a shock to you. Just telling somebody you can, you can be trusted is not enough. Saul showing up saying, I'm a Christian now, you've got to let me in, does not necessarily mean, oh, welcome, oh, brother. Especially from those who have relatives that he helped kill or get arrested. Because his past preceded him. When verse 26 it says, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And the disciples were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. What did they think he was? They think he was an undercover spy? Yeah. Covert agent pretending to be a Christian to get into the inner room to t figure out who's in the Bible study so that when we leave the Bible study, then this guy's going to be arrested and this woman's going to be arrested and this couple's going to go to jail and this one who has, is trying to live their life as Christians but they're brand new and, and they're in the room. So that's who they think Paul is. That's who they think Saul is as he comes in is he is some covert agent. He's going to get names. He's going to take care of the rest of them because his past is something they all know and they don't know the new Saul yet and how frustrating is that for a new Christian when you just want someone to believe you I'm not who I used to be I'm so sorry well I want to forgive you but you hurt me and I'm not sure I can trust you thanks be to God for God's greatness and his grace in erasing all condemnation and in seeing us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, clean, pure, holy, and redeemed. Thanks be to God for the hope we have in him and in a home for eternity with him. Thanks be to God for that. And thanks be to God that even though others impacted by our sins may never come to see us as anything more than what we did in the past, we can stand firm in our faith, knowing that while consequences may remain, condemnation is eradicated. You ever met somebody that as a Christian, they tell you, you're a Christian, you have to forgive me. Well, that's kind of how modern day Christianity is marketed. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be trusted. Look at this first early church of all these disciples, these apostles, who are not certain that Saul should be invited to their new members class. And they're definitely not going to let him teach a class or collect the offering. And they really are not sure if they want him sitting next to them. Listen, becoming, being, living as a Christian is not always easy. It's challenging. 
your past consequences, they remained. And sometimes what we need to be accepted is an advocate. Now, I use a lot of sports references today, so I'll go to something else that will eliminate many of you. Let's talk pop culture and superheroes. I think I've used this one before too, but you know, if you've heard it before, you, you get to hear it again. So a few years back, I was leading, um, we're working with John Green at FCA at Lakeside Junior High. So I'm in this junior high meeting, seventh and eighth graders. And it was uh, the Bible study the morning, you know, it's a Thursday morning before class start. It's a volunteer group. So the kids come up and we do a Bible study. And, and it, was, it was just one of those mornings where I'm like, this is not clicking. I mean, it's not even clicking for me. So I'm not sure it's connecting with them. And so um, I'm trying to think of another way to bring the point out. So this is what I asked him. I said, how many of you have, have seen the, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies? I mean, they all have seen them. So, so this are the movies with Iron Man and Thor and Hulk and Spider-Man now and, and Ant-Man, that, that group. And if you've not heard of this, then I'm sorry, but it's like making billions of dollars and Disney owns it, so it's everywhere now. And on Halloween, you'll see all these little Iron Men walking around, all these little Black Panthers and all these little other superheroes. So every, it, it's an amazing industry, so I'm not going to get into that as much, but I brought that up because the students all knew those characters. And I said, all right, so of the characters that are known as the Avengers, you have some obscure ones like Black Widow, who is played by Scarlett Johansson in the film. You have another guy named uh, Hawkeye, played by Jeremy Renner in the film. So these are characters in the film, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we know them, we know them. Well, they're not major characters, uh, at least they weren't at the time, but they're, they're, they play in the, a role in the film of the Avengers, which is a, good, a team of good guys that fight bad guys. That's who they are. So I asked them, I said, so is Black Widow a good guy or a bad guy? And they said, well, she's a good guy or a good girl. She's on the team. I said, what about Hawkeye, good guy, bad guy? Well, he's a good guy. I said, well, here's something you might not know. Back in the late 60s, early 70s, when Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were creating these characters for comic books, they created the Avengers. And the original Avengers, uh, four or five of those guys, but then about a month or two in, they started changing the lineup. And they introduced these characters called Hawkeye, who was like Robin Hood, he you know, had the bow and arrow, and Black Widow, who really didn't have superpowers, but was a, a spy, a kind of a, a assassin was what she was. I said, but here's how they introduced him. Hawkeye was a villain. Black Widow was a villain, and they named about two or three others. But I said, let's just focus on these two. Hawkeye was a bad guy, and he tried to kill the Avengers. Black Widow was a bad girl, and she was trying to kill the Avengers. And all the students are like, what? I said, listen, I'm, this, I'm giving you, you know, backstory. This is history. This is our Bible study for the day, by the way. So I said, so Hawkeye and Black Widow tried to kill the Avengers. The Avengers fought them. They beat them. They come to a standstill. And then later on, just a few issues later in the comic book, they are now members of the good guy team. How in the world did that happen? They're now Avengers. They're good guys. They're fighting evil. But they didn't start out that way. They started out as bad guys. Well, you know, I said, how did they get accepted onto the Avengers? Well, they threw out some ideas, and finally they said, we don't know. I said, well, here's how it happened. There was one guy on the Avengers that was the man, who, the hero of the highest integrity, the goodest of good, if that's even a word. And he stood before the Avengers, and he said, I will vouch for this person, Hawkeye, and for this person, Black Widow, and they need to be on our team, and by my word, let's do it. And that guy was a guy named Captain America. So Captain America, you know, patriotic hero, got the shield, 
got the star. He stands up and he vouches for Black Widow and Hawkeye. Now the bad guys who have been converted are now good guys and they're fighting on the side of righteousness and justice. But you didn't come here to hear about comic books, but what does that have to do with this? Saul enters into the church trying to get in and everybody's like, I don't think so. Until a man named Barnabas stood up. And Barnabas stood up in the room before the apostles, and he, well, that's what it says, verse 27. Barnabas took him, Saul, brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke of him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Well, listen, Saul needed an advocate. Saul needed someone who would say, he's not who he used to be. And they're not going to trust Saul, but why would they trust Barnabas? Because Barnabas was a known man of integrity, one who is the son of encouragement, one who they trust implicitly. And if, Saul, if Barnabas is going to stand up and say, we should let him in because I trust him, I believe him, I've heard and I've seen He's not who he used to be. Because of Barnabas, because of what God did in that moment, Barnabas advocating for Saul allowed Saul to enter into the, the church, the gathering. Saul didn't need Captain America. He needed Barnabas. And when Barnabas spoke, the church said, okay, good enough for us. But here's something else. Saul entered into the fellowship on the borrowed credibility of Barnabas. That's okay. Saul, I don't know, but what I know I don't like, but Barnabas I know, and you say he's good. I trust you, my brother. Let's let him in. Saul could enter into the church on borrowed credibility, but Saul would never remain in the church on the borrowed credibility of Barnabas. And that's what we see immediately taking place. He could never have remained if he was just hanging on to Barnabas' coattail. He immediately, it says, began doing what he had been doing in Damascus. Verse 28, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And it did not take long for the apostles to look and go, he's the real deal. Barnabas was right. We made the right choice. See, Christianity is the boldest journey anybody could ever make. Joining God's family is not like joining a club. It's a life change. Some are going to celebrate you becoming a Christian. Others will not celebrate that. In fact, more people on the planet will not celebrate your faith in Christ than those who will. It will not be easy to live life as a Christian. It will not be easy to actually read the Word of God and align your life up with what the Scriptures say and to live in such a way to honor God through all of your decisions and your choices and without making excuses of how it is and just going at it the way God desires you to go. It will not be easy, but it should not be easy. But it is right and it is good. And your past, not unlike Saul's, is likely going to come with you regardless where you go. But here, we can just thank God for this. There's a good chance that your past isn't as bad as Saul's. But even if it is, God's grace is sufficient. God is enough, and there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So what about your advocate? 
Well, here's some news for you. Barnabas has been dead for a long time, so he's probably not showing up to get you in. Captain America isn't real. Sorry. Hate to reveal that. So you don't have him either. But we actually have an advocate that is better than either. If you look in 1 John 2, 1, the apostle says, My little children, I am writing these things to you that so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, know this, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I hope those listening today here and those watching online are included or could be included in the phrase, my little children, meaning that you're a child of God, you're a Christian. Being a creation of God and being a child of God are not the same thing. So once you surrender to Christ and surrender your life, you are a child of his, adopted into his family. So little children, Christians, I hope you remember this and understand this, that you are only a child of God because of the advocate that the Father has sent in his son, Jesus Christ. But for those of you who have never said yes to Jesus, here's my plea. Why are you delaying? Why would you risk another minute on your own when the offer is there for you to say yes to Jesus? We do have an advocate with the Father, and it is Christ, the righteous. We, meaning Christians, and by the way, if you need someone with skin on to kind of walk you through what it means to be a part of the fellowship, to journey with you through Bible study, to be the advocate who will sit with you at church or at least six feet away from you at church. God provides that. Perhaps Christians in the room and those online, maybe this is what God is calling you to do. Uh, I mean, see, our church, not unlike our network in Jacksonville, we are called to engage our community. We are sent to engage our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called to equip the saints here so that we can better engage the community. And why do we go out to engage the community as equipped saints? Is so that we may expand the kingdom of God in our own community and see many come to Christ. Far too many believers, and I would just say far too, probably far too many church members right now have, have yet to share the gospel with another person not related to them. And I mean really share it, not watch me live and hope you catch it. I mean share it. That's not a guilt motivator. That's just a calling. We, we can't be silent on this. I've missed way, too, way more opportunities to share than I've taken. I'll, be, I'll just confess it. I have missed way more than I've, than I've caught. And I'm convicted that I need to be a Barnabas to somebody. Do you know anybody in your life, or in your world, in your neighborhood, in your community that does not deserve to be a Christian? Besides yourself? See, that's who needs a Barnabas. The ones whose history or past kind of enters in before they ever show up. The one who people kind of look at a little different. The one who may not feel as comfortable in the gathering as others. They need an advocate with skin on. Jesus is our advocate to the Father. Perhaps you are the advocate to the others. We want our community to know they are welcome here. We don't want to be the church building on Kingsley that people drive by and go, oh yeah, I've heard of that church. They do some good things every now and then. 
We've got to be who we've been called to be. And we need people who love to live here. Think about that. Do you love living here? Do you love it? You may be, and and I get it, some of you are temporaries. I mean, you've been transferred in, you're transferred out, and you long to go home, wherever that is, or you long for the next assignment. But you know what, church? We will never reach this community until we love it. We need to be able to tell folks they are welcome here and welcome to know this Jesus that we call Lord. Verse 31 So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. Isn't that great? A church defined by the peace that was within it. That doesn't mean the community loved them so much because the government was still out to get them and the others didn't like them. And there are, where Saul was converted, there are other Sauls that were never converted and they were continuing to do that stuff. But within the fellowship, they had peace and they were being built up. And they walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of doing so, it multiplied. What multiplied? The church multiplied. And the kingdom of God expanded. I'm pretty excited about what's in our future. I really am. We have a 99-year history at First Baptist Church of Orange Park. And I believe that that which is ahead of us is going to blow away everything behind us, as good as it's been. It's better on this side. It's better going forward. And I'm thanking you for at least being here today for a part of the journey as we move forward. But when we move through this pandemic, when we quit buying blue tape to tape off pews, when hand sanitizer sales go down, we want to be here ready for what God has for us. But you know what? We can't wait until that day. Today's the day. If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, why not do it today? If you're online, uh, firstfam.org, go to the connect card, click it, fill it out, it'll email it to us, or email us directly, firstbaptist at opfirst.org. You can do it that way. If you're in the room, we're not gonna have a come down the aisle invitation, but when the service is over and everybody else has left, if you remain seated, One of our pastors or ministry leaders will come to talk to you about what it means to know Jesus personally. If maybe you want to join the church, what that means. Maybe what baptism and obedience and believer's baptism means. We'd love to have that conversation too. You know what? We've not baptized very many people this year, but there's no excuse. So we need to get back to it. Father, I thank you for our time together this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the the, the conversion of Saul, which we read about, this 2,000-year-old story of a man who hated Jesus, hated Christians, hated the church, but was changed so dramatically that he became the greatest missionary in the history of the church and did so much as an apostle. But even Saul was not necessarily welcomed initially. There were some things that had to be done. There were others that had to stand with him. There were some that had to advocate for him, for him to just get into the door. And maybe, maybe that's how some of us feel today, or perhaps we're the individual that needs to stand up for another. God, I am convinced you've got much in store for us here at First Baptist Orange Park. And it's not about our little kingdom, it's about your grand kingdom. May we be obedient to you in every area so that you may be glorified in the great things that do take place in this community 
no individual, no local church could take credit for. A movement of your Holy Spirit, a transformation of a town, a change of an entire county. We believe it can happen. And thanks be to you, Father, for being the one to do it. Just help us, Lord, to be obedient in the steps that needed to be taken. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.